As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and the Red Bull Coscat Breach saga has finally come to an end, with the announcement it has reached an accepted breach agreement with the FIA. But is the penalty enough, and what will it mean for Red Bull's competitiveness? I'm Ed Shaw, and joining me to answer those questions and more is Scott Mitchell Malm. Scott, you're joining me here in Mexico City. How would you describe it? Well, Mexico City, busy, uh, colourful, filled with good food, lots of people. So, Mexico City. I was thinking you might just go with traffic jam, which is why we're recording this so late. We are recording this extremely late. The, the traffic out of the track was, even by um, the city and the races' standards, This, this was uh, the, the traffic was... Uh, uh, extreme, shall we say? I think we did a basically a full lap of the the outer perimeter roads of the circuit, and it took about forty minutes to do that. So it was, um, yeah, it's been a long journey back, very off the pace. But let's get straight into it because inevitably the cost cap overspend of Red Bull has been the big talking point in Mexico so far this weekend. The short version is that Red Bull has been hit with a $7 million fine and a reduction of 10% of its permitted aerodynamic testing, so that's both wind tunnel running and CFD, for the next 12 months. According to the Cost Cap Administration, the final figure calculated for the overspend was £432,652, so 0.37% of the cost cap, although that was allowing for £1.4 million in tax credits Red Bull should have accounted for. Yeah, so I think it's it's interesting. There's a there's a couple of different numbers. Obviously, there Red Bull are sticking very much to the sort of four hundred thousand, but their rivals are obviously lasering in on the fact that it was one point eight million pounds or, or whatever it was. And I still don't really know which side of that divide I fall on, to be honest. Yeah, at least means we know roughly where this overspend is now and it's been broken down into lots of little different areas. So do you think overall in terms of the big picture it's a satisfactory outcome? Um possibly in that it's not really appeased anybody, um, at least publicly. 
Red Bull were... That's Red the Bull, sign of a good compromise. Well, that's what I was thinking. Red, Red, Red Bull are very, very unhappy with the sporting penalty, which might be slightly overblown, but it does, I, I do think it does speak to the significance of the aerodynamic testing restriction limitation that's been imposed on them. Red Bull's rivals, obviously, don't think it goes far enough. I sort of saw it as it's an okay penalty. I think it's an okay action from the FIA. Could it be stricter? Certainly. Is there an argument for it being stricter? Quite possibly. But does it achieve what I was hoping that the resolution would achieve, which is send a message that the cost cap is going to be taken seriously and breaches are going to be taken seriously? I think I think it does. But the problem is, with something like this, the the actual consequences of it are intangible. So we're not going to see whether it made an impact on Red Bull or not. We're not even really going to... We're probably not going to see it in 2023 or 2024 because we'll never have a you know a, an, an AB comparison of what Red Bull could have achieved without this limitation. So that that's where it falls short for me. I can't say conclusively that this will definitely deter people from breaching the budget cap in the future. A few teams suggest that it absolutely will, but it's... I don't know, 60-70% towards a, a good solution, I think, which it, that's not the end of the world, but it, it could it could have been better. The thing you have to remember with this is it is the first proper test case of the cost caps. So there's inevitably going to be some tidying up that needed to be done. And that's why I think we have to look at this as very much the, the starting point of it. And if we see a similar breach in the future, I think you could legitimately on this basis, give a harsher penalty because there's no such caveat or, or excuse. We should note the FIA said that Red Bull cooperated fully with them on it and that there was no attempt to dissemble or, or hide spending, etc. So very much this accepted breach agreement was reached collaboratively and I always felt it was likely to go that way because that would be the first choice for everybody. But this is very much kind of a waste of ground zero for the, for the cost cap. So for me, the the way it clarified certain things and set certain ways that you have to do things was more important almost than the than the penalty. And it was always going to be a more lenient penalty than it could have been. That's kind of what the ABA, the Accepted Breach Agreement system, exists. I remember I've been, and I've shamelessly stolen this phrasing from you quite a few times, but I remember reading something that you wrote uh, for the race website um, out, outlining basically what a, an Accepted Breach Agreement is. And you described it as effectively a plea bargain, which I think is a great way of of, of characterising it. Because the whole point of an ABA, the whole point of this negotiation that has angered quite a few people is that it expedites the solution for the FIA. They get a resolution to this process quicker. And the reason they get that resolution quicker is because they basically offer a more lenient penalty. You can't do a future cost cap reduction. You can't do a points deduction you can do fines and and the other sporting penalties effectively. It's good for the FIA because it draws a line under it and it can't be appealed, so Red Bull can't challenge this punishment that's been handed down. And it's good for Red Bull because they know that they're going to get something that's not not as severe as it could be. And my understanding is that that is a big part of why Red Bull entered this ABA. As I understand it, there was a legitimate concern within the Red Bull camp that if they fought it, they were they were seriously at risk of um if they did lose they were seriously at risk of a much harsher penalty so they just sort of accepted it as 
effectively the, the the lesser of the evils. And that's why the points reduction was always unlikely, because not only was it an outcome that ideally F1 didn't want to impose, the FI wouldn't have wanted to, but also the threat of it was significant enough for Red Bull to encourage them to begrudgingly, was the word Christian Horner used, accept the ABA. But it, it's it's quite interesting reading the summary they've done of, uh, of the analysis they did. There's a list of 13 different points, all sorts of different areas. Can you name them off the top of your head now? Not right, quite. Right I, this second, do it now. <laughs> well, I was working through them earlier. I, I broke them down on the on the website, but there's, uh, there's a number of different areas related to how you... Because basically, you do your accounts for your total spending, and then you can exclude a load of costs to get your cost cap number. So this is all about what you excluded and how you calculated that. And there were some minor things that, that that were not done correctly. There were some areas where social security payments, et cetera, et cetera, weren't quite calculated in the way they should have been. My favourite thing from all of this was actually not on the Red Bull side. It was on the Aston Martin side because obviously they've been found guilty of a procedural breach and we've had an ABA for them. They've outlined the same thing. And my favourite thing in there was that uh, the cost of... Um, tables and chairs or desks and chairs was specified as one of the areas that Aston Martin tripped up. So that 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 greatly amused me. Well, it's and it's very granular, this process. Christian Horner said there were 75,000 items inputted, basically, not individual desks and chairs, but in terms of numbers you're putting together for, for this to differentiate between your F1 cost and your non-F1 costs. And Horner himself pointed to a few key areas that led to the difference in the in the calculating. That tax thing was one of the things he pointed out. The catering thing, which has been talked about, because as he said, Red Bull Group has always given catering food, beverages to its employees, but that had to be accounted for within the cost cap. They didn't think it did have to be. And not only that, but because it wasn't possible to break it all down, that's the whole Red Bull catering spend that has gone into that so Horner wasn't delighted about that but he did admit they were being a bit aggressive trying to get that catering thing through for the F1 personnel yeah he also made a slight um in in an attempt at sort of lightening the situation when he did his press conference this morning he did briefly suggest that maybe the media was also responsible contributing to that overspend or the marketing cost because he said that every um every coffee or anything like that and uh, in a visit to Milton Keynes would have gone into that that that's how wide reaching i guess that, <laughs> that well, is Well Scott we should admit here in full transparency from our side we did go to the announcement launch of the Red Bull RB17 yes uh, track car i think it's, oh, it's production car track car get the exact phraseology I, I, th- I think this is where you need to you need to come clean and accept that your affection for desserts is very possibly screwed Red Bull over big time. That may have made the difference, exactly, because they, they gave us tea and sandwiches and maybe there were some kind of cake-type items available <laughs> there. But it, it shows, again, the areas they're getting into. There was an element Horner was uh, unhappy about, which was over a million in terms of their accounting about the way parts are carried over for heritage use, because obviously your, your inventories are carried over in certain ways. That was a rule change after their submission, or interpretation change after their submission. There was a sick pay issue. He referred to a member of staff who was off for a significant period of time. They felt they should exclude him from the cost cap. The cost cap administration didn't agree with this. Now, we should say the regs allow for you to exclude a replacement but not actually the individual employee if they come back. So a little bit of, uh, of, of disagreement there. Yeah, Christian was um, was quite strong on that, wasn't he? He was saying that I think he's... I don't, and, I, and, and, I, and I don't know the ins and outs of the financial regs in the way that you do, Ed, because I know that you've spent a painful amount of time going over them. But Christian's argument was that if that employee had failed to recover, if they'd passed away and not come back, then 
that would have been excluded from the cap. But the fact that they recovered and came back in is the reason they got included. That's what Horner was saying. Yeah, and I think the idea there is then that the replacements that could be excluded then gets included, if you see what I mean. So it's, I think the reason it's structured that way, which is a bit counterintuitive, is to stop people going off on sick leave at convenient moments. Yeah. Where you can, for example, you can draft someone in who has a certain set of skills that's applicable for a certain period. Like Liam Neeson. And so, exactly. And and swap them around. So I think that's why that's structured in that that slightly cumbersome way. The, uh, the other thing I, I would flag was uh, what you said about the, um, oh gosh, I've forgotten the exact word, in the, rec- the, the spare parts, basically. Um, however that's exactly worded um, in the ABA one of the um, sorry if you can hear that noise in the background there's an absolute bleed outside the uh, outside the hotel um, I don't think Red Bull are particularly happy about that reclassification I think I think they feel that they weren't really given a fair shake um, with that because they're very upset about the fact that they couldn't resubmit after this um, what whatever they however they want to phrase it the the clarification of um how you classify these parts or, or whatever it is. But I, I, I've i just got the impression that that's something that they have, they have their suspicions as to why they were the only team that seemed to trip up over this, shall we say. Exactly, yeah. There's a, there's a number of things. The one thing I will say, we won't talk about people's medical status, but there was a genuine member of personnel who had a serious medical issue. So this is a real thing that definitely happened when it comes to the sick pay. The other thing was relating to Dan Fellows, who's now gone to Aston Martin now. The Hollywood deal. Exactly. Now, Christian Horner didn't specifically name him, but he very he obliquely referenced him because he was parked at Red Bull Advanced Technologies once they realised he was off to Aston Martin. Horner and Red Bull felt he should be excluded. The cost cap administration didn't agree. They don't seem to have really agreed on why there's this disagreement, if you if you see what I mean. The one thing I will say is that when somebody moves on that way or is moved on to non-F1 activities, they become a, um, what's the phrase, a reassigned employee. But you've got to do that formally by the end of June for it to qual- for it to qualify, in which case you'd, let's say it happened on the 30th of June, just for the sake of argument, you'd count the costs up to then and not after. So maybe it's about that, but I don't know that for sure. And that was in 2021, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure the fallow stuff was going on quite a long way after it- that. It got out publicly before the 30th of June. I know that because there were there were stories out because Aston Martin, if you remember, announced it. So I don't know whether this was something where Red Bull didn't move quickly enough or whether they were still fighting it, etc. So yeah, there's this long list of things. There's also reference to travel expenses because, for example, all t- uh, travel for personnel going to competitions, that's the race meetings, or tests is excluded from the cost cap. And they fell foul of that somehow. So presumably there was some travel there somewhere that they said was for the purposes of, of, of competition, but wasn't, etc. So little things like that. So it's, it's a big, long list of, of areas. And it, it sort of swings back and forth between underspend and overspend. And Red Bull's original submission, Horner said, was £3.7 million under the cost cap. And then we get to this number that either the 1.8 or the just over 400k. So... I think the thing we can take from this is it is very complicated, isn't it? And yes, no matter what we're talking about, what's being spent on, it's all about the overall number. And that is money that's spent on the performance of the car one way or the another, one way or another, even if it's sneaking money through on catering that you shouldn't, that does leave more money in the pot for development. Yeah, and it is ultimately one pot. I mean, I do have a degree of sympathy for Red Bull in that the rigs are very complex. They've clearly tried to be aggressive in some places. Some of those interpretations have worked. Some of them have not, but ultimately, 
two other only two other teams committed breaches. They were procedural breaches. Williams's was uh, related to a third party way earlier in the year, and it just meant that they voluntarily informed the FIA basically that they weren't going to make the the deadline for the for the submission. The Aston Martin procedural breach was a lot more complicated, and actually Horner used this as an example of to sort of prove his point. They fell foul of these regulations in quite a big way. There's clearly quite a lot that Aston Martin did that they got wrong. So, yes, complex, but several other teams, the vast majority of teams, didn't trip up in this way. So, however much sympathy you can have for Rebel, there is a finite amount because other teams didn't do what they did wrong. Yeah, well, there's a reason they've been found to be in breach of the cost cap because they were in breach of the cost cap. We've got the level to which it is and they've got their punishment. And as I've said, the level of punishment, it could be a bit higher. It could be, you could make that case, but I'm less concerned about that because I think what's far more important is we've got this big long list of areas where now we have a case study and you can bet that everything that's in that Red Bull breach that they've accounted in a certain way, that'll have gone around to all the CFOs saying, right, you do not do it this way. This is what you count. So this should hopefully uh, hopefully work and the we'll get on to the, the, the impacts of the punishment in a moment, but it's enough to have an impact and that's what matters. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, let's move on to the question of, of the impact of the, of the penalty. 10% drop in the allocation for aero testing, wind tunnel and CFD time. We won't get too much into the details of, of how that's all calculated, but broadly speaking, there's an amount you can have of aero testing, wind tunnel and CFD. 
if you win the Constructors' Championship, you're at 70%. So this 10% drop drops you to 63% of that allowance. Yeah, it's, it's 10% of what you're entitled to because I think some people think that they've just lost 10% off of what they had, if you see what I mean. so It's, it's 10% of a figure that's already 70%. Yeah, exactly. So it's not 10% less than 70 It's 10% of 70 subtracted from 70 if that makes sense. Um it broadly works out at just under uh, one and a half constructors championship places. So the way it works with the sliding scale on the ATR is that the the more successful you are in a championship season, the less uh, wind tunnel and CFD work you can do the following year. And for every place, there is a five percent um, increment between um, between what what you can do. So this is basically like shunting everyone else effectively down one and a half places in the championship and giving them one and a half places in the championship more wind tunnel and CFD time than, than, than Red Bull. Obviously, their numbers haven't changed. It's Red Bulls that are, have been reduced, but it's a bit easier to phrase it that way than it is to say that Red Bull have just now just gone to minus 0.5 <laughs> in the championship, which doesn't really make any sense. The point is, is that they've they've lost a... I would... And it sounds like a bit of a cop-out. I would describe it as a not insignificant amount of uh, wind tunnel time and uh, number of CFD items that they can produce. It means that in real terms, and I'm going to use a percentage here, and sorry if this sounds confusing, this isn't about the ATR percentage, but in real terms, Mercedes next year, if they finish third in the championship, will have almost 20% more wind tunnel time and CFD work that they can do than Red Bull will be doing in terms of quantity. So... That that's a lot. That that I know that people want some people wanted this to be a lot stricter, but I really think some people are overlooking just how much of an impact that can have. And I appreciate that there are a couple of teams, McLaren and Ferrari, have been very vocal and said that this isn't enough. That actually the amount of um, if Red Bull has breached it by about two million euros, pounds, dollars, whatever, um, then that would that would equate. I don't know, a couple of attempts of a second in performance and naturally you'd need to slash their ATR by another 10, 15, 20% to get that back next year. I think that's a slightly generous interpretation of it, but I can see why they're um, pushing that message quite strongly. And it absolutely will have an impact because that's 10% of your development, basically. And if Red Bull's doing their job, then that will translate to lap time. Christian Horner said it would be 0.25 to 0.5 a second. It's very hard to put a number on it. Aero development isn't always linear. You can average it out and say, oh, it's this much gain per however many weeks of development, but it's never that straightforward. So, yeah, it is going to make their car slower next year. And in 2024. Exactly. There's a knock-on effect. Because this um, this restriction kicks in. It's a 12-month period starting from when the ABA is entered into, which was Wednesday of this week. So until... What was Wednesday, the 26th of October, I think. So 26th of October 2023 is when this enforced 10% reduction will will ease. So it, it kicks in straight away. It immediately impacts any further development work that Rebel wants to do on the 2023 car from this point onwards. So the final f- stages of development for the base 2023 car will be, a pe- imp- it, yeah, sorry, will be impacted by this. Um, then you will go into, uh, then you'll go into testing, uh, early stage of the season, all of that development work will be impacted by this. In-season car development will be impacted by this. And the balance between developing the 23 car and preparing the 2024 car will be impacted by this. And it won't be until October next year that Red Bull gets back to what it should be entitled to. And once again, rivals will say it should have been more and that this is not enough. 
you could make a case for that. But I think, again, coming back to that thing about the need to shore up the cost cap for the long term, that's what really, really matters here. And I don't think this is going to be a penalty that, let's just say, if you committed the exact same breach, you'd get the same penalty, which I don't think is a foregone conclusion, given some of the things I mentioned earlier. I don't think it's that straightforward for making it yeah, you'd pay that price for the for the short-term gain. I don't think it's that simple. There's enough here to have an impact. And a $7 million fine. Now, the idea of having a financial penalty for an overspend is a bit stupid, fundamentally. Especially when it doesn't come out of the budget cap, which is what people assume or think that it will. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just a separate fine payable in 30 days, $7 million. Yeah, so that's enough to make an organisation think that's not an insubstantial sum of money. I think it's very much secondary to the ATR, but it's not. this is not a nothing punishment. People have said it's a slap on the wrist. I think it's a bit more than that. It's not a punch in the face, though, let's put they, it that they've way. Not had their, they've not been kneecapped, have they? Let's, exactly, let's exactly yeah. And some people will have wanted that. And, yeah, whether there's always an element here, because it is an accepted breach agreement. Whether people like it or not, yeah, there is an element of negotiation to this. That's the mechanism in the financial regulations. That exists. This hasn't just happened because they're negotiating behind closed doors or whatever, or trying to let Red Bull get away with it or not. That's what the process is. And we should add that there are rival teams who think Red Bull has been really generously treated. Red Bull themselves probably think they've been harshly treated, because there's always that sort of competitive paranoia as well. So again, that's just showing that there's there's no really easy answer to this, but everything's been done in the way it should be. People have likened it to that Ferrari engine settlement a few years ago, but I don't think that stands up because the crucial difference here is Red Bull have been found guilty of breaking the cost cap. Ferrari were never found guilty. The FIA said they suspected Ferrari were operating their engine at times outside of the regulations, but they couldn't prove it. So that was why that was something a little bit different. One of the things that I think gets a little bit overlooked in what's happened here is on the reputational side, because I I, I think because it's an intangible thing, it's easy to it is easy to underestimate. But you know, Red Bull is a major brand, and by entering this ABA, Red Bull has had to accept it broke the rules. Now, clearly, there's no, there, there's nothing apologetic about the way Rebel have gone about that. In fact, Christian Horner was asked if he felt the need to apologise to F1, its rivals, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, no, why would I? In fact, if anything, they owe us an apology for all of the, the stuff that's been said in recent weeks. So there's no, you know, they're unrepentant as an organisation, but they're still guilty. And they've had to publicly say they've been guilty. They've been slapped with this fine for it. They've been slapped with a penalty for it. Who knows? It might cost them performance in the next year or two as well. You now, I'm sure a company of rebel size can shrug elements of that off. Certainly, the fine is a drop in the drop in the ocean for for a company like Red Bull. But how many companies really want to have this kind of thing publicised in this way and proven in this way? Because I remember when that Ferrari stuff was going on, they were really angry about it at the end of 2019 because Ferrari has to satisfy various international compliance laws as a as a company that 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 operates and trades internationally so and Toto Wolf talked about this exact this same thing the need to be compliant and the fear of reputational damage is enough for an organization like Mercedes to make sure that they have the leeway required to to not breach the cap so that 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 will have hurt Red Bull as well there will be def there will definitely be people in the organization that see that as a massive massive blow that they've been found guilty of this yeah exactly yeah 
I think as a wider company, because Red Bull's a bit edgy and a bit of a rebel company, if you like, it's a little bit easier for them to maybe shrug off in the wider scheme of things. That doesn't necessarily apply to individuals in it, but just the company as a whole, Mercedes, for example, very, very different. So, yeah, I mean, I think that is an important factor, but it will be the threat of real tangible sanctions that that will strike fear into people. I don't think this outcome on the Red Bull one will absolutely terrify any team into even thinking about pushing it. But I also think it won't make them think, oh, we can do this, no problem. It hasn't broken the cost cap framework. I hope it shored it up. We'll only really know that when it's tested again in the future. So again, I come back to this thing of the important thing is the big picture. It's not this kind of bloodlust for vengeance of, oh, they should lose championships, etc. They were never going to lose championships. That was stupid. Now, Unfortunately, because of how close 2021 was, a 400,000k breach, you can argue that would have swung the championship one way or the other. Any knock-on effect of that won't have made any difference this year because they've been so dominant. But yeah, the, the really important thing is going forward, all teams push the regulations to the limit. It's about how far you choose to do it. And I'm sure there will be all sorts of teams that will be doing interesting interpretations or what might seem like interesting interpretations of the regs. So the hope is that this will have tidied things up. Yeah, rival teams will be annoyed and continue to complain about it, but that's that's just the way it is. I think, as, as Christian Horner said, some of them would only be happy if their wind tunnel was burned down. <laughs> no, you said that they wouldn't be happy. Because you could burn the factory down, they still wouldn't be oh, yeah, happy good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which... Their, 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 um, their Cold War relic, um, not fit for purpose, wind tunnel, or exactly what it was that he phrased it as. Yeah, he was hamming that up a tiny bit. Yes, they he do have some limitations. He basically argued that this is an even this is an even more draconian penalty for Red Bull because their wind tunnel is so rubbish compared to everybody else's that they'll feel this they'll they'll feel this even more more harshly because um, their wind tunnel is inefficient. So they need you know being being lower on wind tunnel time is bad enough as, as it is taken even further means that that just hits them where they're hardest. And then he said, oh, that's why the, they, the other teams knew that and that's why they were campaigning for it. Which I think is a spectacularly irrelevant point to make in, in this. I know what audience he's playing to with that, but yeah, I don't think that's particularly relevant. But in summary, okay outcome, I think. Not brilliant, not terrible. Okay, it's yeah. workable. Yeah, it, it like you... you you had it right. It, it hasn't broken the cost cap. I hope it has reinforced it. And I do think it's closer to reinforcing it than than breaking it. It was always going to be a bit softer because it was an ABA. I think it's just, I think it's just about okay, but we'll only find out in the next year or two whether or not it has actually had any material impact on Red Bull. And maybe even then we won't see it. Exactly. Well, we'll never be able to judge that. But the one thing we can say is it will cost them some performance over the next 12 months. And as you go deeper into that, It'll become more relevant and there'll be the knock-on effect. So, yeah, that's one we're going to only be able to judge in the very, very, very long term. So thanks very much, Scott Mitchell-Malm, for your insight. Head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there on the cost cap. And there's even a race meeting going on this weekend that might interest you, the Mexican Grand Prix. Check out our other podcasts, including our MotoGP podcast and Bring Back V10s. And also have a look at our YouTube channel. And if you haven't already done so, download our relatively new app. Just search the race media on your app store of choice. We're now turning our attention to on-track action in Mexico City, so stay with us for everything you need to know about the Mexican Grand Prix. The Athletic.